0: So even without the configuration of the new screen for these next few weeks, I think because of a play here at the school, you may not be able to see exactly what I'm trying to tell you other than the you know, carpet that is the same that's underneath you right now. But this reflects something that you may have seen me post on social media if we're Facebook friends. This was last Wednesday night when I arrived here at the school to set up for a small group that I facilitate and what I saw on the ground in the literal sense of the word took my breath away. Hundreds of little flowers, excuse me, hearts on the ground left over from the Valentine's Day celebration. And the contrast with what happened Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, the massacre there could not have been more strong, more powerful, more resonant, this reminder of what happens when life is as it should be, undisturbed, unblemished, unbroken by violence. So I want to hold this image in my heart and maybe in all of our hearts today as I begin this message this continuing series on refuge. And actually this has to do with what I plan to talk about for weeks, which is that I'd say in the last four years or so of my ministry here at Wellsprings, there's been a shift, and it's not a shift from replacing one thing with another. It's been a shift towards a deeper form of integration. I think in the past, I had described myself in ministry as more drawn to the pastoral rather than the prophetic, the intimate, and between and amongst ourselves rather than the out there and the public, and that has shifted and it has integrated, and I've spent a lot more time in public expressions of this ministry and of our values here at Wellsprings and of our larger tradition to which we all belong. Which means, with many of you, I have walked an awful lot of steps. Marches, vigils, demonstrations, protests over these last four years. And one of the things I've found, especially because I didn't do a lot of protesting when I was younger, is how many great conversations happen with the people that you're alongside and spending time with. I mean, just uh, not too long ago, at the Women's March, January, you might recognize some faces up here. The person I'm standing next to, Carol Breslin, our Youth Spirit Coordinator. We had reached the point where the, the walking portion of the march was finished, and we were standing around, waiting and talking. And she said, and she turned to me, How about BoJack Horseman? (laughs) Thank you for telling me about that. Now, from the smattering of laughter, many of you may not know who BoJack Horseman is. BoJack Horseman is a Netflix show that is one of the best representations of loneliness and attachment in the Buddhist suffering sense of that word and addiction and mental health mental health disorders. It is about this six-foot-four talking alcoholic horse named BoJack Horseman, who was back in the 80s on a family-friendly sitcom for eight years called, wait for it, and Around, in which he somehow magically inherits three little orphans, as the song says, one, two, three, all in this great big family. You go watch the show. Um, And he has never achieved anything like that prior fame. He is, to use a pejorative term, washed up. A has-been. And he takes out his suffering on himself and upon everyone around him. Sounds like a fun show, doesn't it? It is tragic, but it is also very, very funny and very sly. The way I describe it is that it's The Simpsons plus Mad Men, plus a Samuel Beckett play. <laughs> it is unlike anything I have ever watched. Now, it has weak episodes like every other show does, and if you want to start to commit to it, which I encourage you to, stick through the first six episodes. They're not great, and then at the end of the first season, something happens. It's the kind of show, and I watch a lot of kind of what they call this golden age of television, you know, premier TV, Some of the episodes stop me when the screen goes dark. And I am just left in awe of this insight, of this paradox, of this representation of what it means to be human and the ways in which so many of us, BoJack Horseman standing in for so many of us, get in our own way and get stuck in patterns that do not serve us. It is one of the most insightful things on television. And this recent season, it takes it even deeper. One of the things this current season does, it goes back and forward in time with some characters we have never met before two, three, four generations back. And what it shows so skillfully is that the current generation, our generation of characters, present day, are enacting, in some cases, decades or hundreds of years old patterns of trauma and loss that they have inherited from their families. But the thing is, they don't know it. (laughs) We can see it. These patterns repeating that they're unaware of, but that don't serve them in their lives. This is, for me, one of the primary motivations at this stage of development with my daily spiritual practice which is, as many of you know, mindfulness meditation. I began mindfulness meditation like most people do. I wanted a little bit more calmness. (laughs) I was tired of the constantly swirling storms in my head. And I've gotten a little bit more calmness. Some people who go years without seeing me will actually reflect on the fact that it can actually feels like you've got a lot more (laughs) calmness than you used to have. The next phase in my growth and development, my spiritual practice, was a deep and abiding sense of kindness towards myself that I believe expresses itself in my relationship with other people that also is different from the past. And there's another place where I've reached now, and it has exactly to do with what Bojack Horseman points at. With seeing my habits of mind more clearly than i ever have before it doesn't mean that i'm always skillful with stopping <laughs> those habits of mine as they express myself as i express myself in my behaviors It has led me to questions like this anxiety that i've lived my entire life with whose is it really this tendency to depression, to moroseness. Whose is it really? And when I say whose is it really, it doesn't diminish my responsibility for it. If it's showing up, i got to deal with it. (laughs) But this easing of the bonds of self, is this really mine? I'm not so sure anymore. And something's shifting because of that inquiry. It showed up just a few weeks ago. Reverend Lee and I try to do about what, three, four years now. In the beginning of the year we do a 30-day mindfulness practice together where we will text each other, checking in about the end of that day's practice. And I think this was day 17. And I texted her with an insight that showed up just as I was sitting, unforced, unanalyzed, just arose. See, one of the ways my mind works, one of my habits of mind, and it is directly related to my anxiety, is I love to tell myself stories about how other people are doing. <laughs> Good or ill it's a defense mechanism it allows me maybe to feel a little bit more safe and a little bit more secure because the truth is I don't often feel all that safe or that secure but in this moment of insight while sitting it was there I was telling myself a pleasant story my mind wanders like all your minds wander it happens about someone, wasn't any of you and I was experiencing a real sense of warmth in their presence, and then it hit me. This is not them. <laughs> this is who I'm imagining them to be. That real intimacy is about inquiring about how, how other people are doing, not imagining how they are or who they are. Now, I don't believe it is absolutely necessary to have a contemplative practice to engage this kind of inquiry, although for me it absolutely is, and you've heard me talk about it before. I think it helps. There are other ways. For some, it can be therapy. For some of us, it can be friends who tell us with love the unvarnished truth about how they perceive us to be. But this inquiry, this openness to really touching our lives, It is right at the heart of the profound ethical and spiritual challenges of our time. Right now, what's going on back in one of those classrooms there is our whole lives, our teen program on sexuality education, and on bringing the values of compassion and justice and equity into, as we know, as we've always known, and we're now more aware of than ever because of the Me Too movement about how often we don't inquire, especially those of us who are male, into consent, into asking what do you want, what do you need, what do you like, asking and again this isn't just about sexuality, it's about all spheres of our life. Learning not to imagine others' lives and by our imagination making them less real and only a projection of our own habits of mind but actually to inquire into the real lived existence of who other people are. This is like waking up from a dream. It is for me at least. Who lived in my head for so many years. Still do. Can still tend to. But it is like a release. The dream of what we think our lives are. To engaging what life really is. Right now. With each other. right now with each other there's a lot here Uh, sometimes spiritual teachers talk about this this magical thing like it's a unicorn the present moment just enter the present moment and everything will be fine the power of now good book yeah (laughs) there's better teachings beyond that book but it's a good place to start Sometimes people talk about the present moment like it's this island in time completely set apart from everything else and actually I experience it the other way. That to fully inhabit this present moment is to get in touch with all the things that have led to this present moment and actually to have a fresh start in this present moment. To have this life show up not as an island, not spiritual practice as a spa, but to have spiritual practice as a real refuge. I love going to spas by the way, but it's not my spiritual practice. This getting in touch, this is the invitation to a fresh start based on what's been before. Reverend Lee has been joking recently that she has played a particular song for ten straight meetings when it has been a responsibility to start out a Wellsprings meeting with the song. It's an old George Harrison song that the Avid brothers have recently covered, Give Me Love, Give Me Hope, Give Me Peace on Earth. And it's got this beautiful line which is absolutely informed by George Harrison's Krishna devotion during his life, that variant, that strain of Hinduism, Keep Me Free from Birth. It's a prayer asking to be released from the cycles that hold us, that ensnare us, that keep us stuck, released from the patterns that were that no longer serve us, like the song we just sang, shared with us, we can let go of the inherited things we no longer need and find a new way. For me, this is the hardest work I have ever done. And I think that's why so many of us don't do it. (laughs) It's why I resisted it for years. Because there's something within us. I think it's maybe part of our evolutionary heritage. It shows up this way psychologically as fight, flight, or freeze. (laughs) Heard those words before? Fight, flight, or freeze? We encounter something unfamiliar, which is so often just each other. (laughs) And we think we have to do battle with each other. Or we think we have to run away from each other we just freeze up. All of which are so often expressions of not being able to be free. And by the way, fight, flight, or freeze aren't bad. Like, actually, I want to look back at my ancestors and said, whatever you did that kept you free from that woolly mammoth that wanted to eat you, thank you. It allowed me to be here today. But our most immediate reactive response with the oldest parts of our brain so often are not skillful on their own. Not skillful in terms of finding out what's really a threat. Do I need to dominate it or exploit it or numb out in the face of it? Maybe we can respond to it. Beyond fight, flight, or freeze, there's another F. The one you're thinking of if you heard me preach before. Shame on you. I've earned my reputation. It's this. Face. This wonderful James Baldwin quote, still one of the most perceptive teachers of this country, who saw what this country was as a black and gay American because he was kept out from the mainstream of it and so was such a, a more clear perceiver of who and what this country was. Not everything that is face can be changed, he wrote, but nothing can be changed until. It is faced. Being able to face ourselves, being able to face each other. Reminds me of First uh, Corinthians 13. Again, you know, famous wedding reading. Doesn't really belong in weddings. It's not the kind of love Paul was talking about. Lovely reading. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know it. but Actually, it's the end of that passage that I love the most. Now we see in part, now we prophecy in part, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. So many of us individually, collectively bound by stuckness. So many of us yearning to see face to face what our lives are, who we are, and who other people are. That's why I think Paul was right that love is the greatest evolutionary impulse there is because it encourages us to face one another, to see one another, to stop telling stories about each other, and to ask, what is happening with you? Look at your order of service. Kathy introduced it today. Thank you, Kathy. What are your pronouns? That's a practice in opening the heart. Don't assume we know. For so long we did assume. I've had to do all kinds of unlearning. Same stuff Kathy was talking about. And one of the things I love is that fewer younger people have to grow up now unlearning harmful practices. Because we are learning to see. More of us will be able to see that gender is a continuum, not an either-or. We don't have to be stuck in our definitions that hide the truth of other people's lives from us and make them fit into our rigid boxes. And this brings me full circle to what happened in Parkland, Florida. Columbine was my first full spring in ministry 19 years ago and I remember preaching on that Sunday after that trying to find something meaningful to say to people who were in shock and thinking you know this has to be enough this this has to be enough this is this is terrible beyond words and I remember my first Sunday here, preaching after a mass shooting, Virginia Tech. Sandy Hook. We thought Sandy Hook would be the one. The little children. And it wasn't. We are stuck. And I didn't really know what to say today feel angry. I feel outraged. I feel helpless. Fortunately, the world is bigger than me. <laughs> Fortunately, the world has people in it like Emma Gonzalez. Google, if you haven't seen yet, Emma Gonzalez. One of the survivors of Parkland. Calling literally BS <laughs> on all the ways that we are stuck. I am so glad that this world has people like Emma Gonzalez in it, who have a heart and a hope bigger than those of us who have allowed things to get to a place like this, like we have. Maybe you've seen this. It's a fluid situation right now. <laughs> Don't know exactly how it's going to take shape. But this was on the Women's March feed on Facebook. National school walkout. Children are going to lead us through it. this. <laughs> Our teens will lead us through this because we've, the older of us, have bungled this enough, been stuck too much Their voices are the ones I want to listen to. They are the ones who might help keep us free from birth, from repeating this cycle over and over and over and over again as it has. They offer the refuge of a different way. It reminds me of the most profound truth of this tradition, We say the burning bush is blazing everywhere, which in my own words translates, the universe is not done with us yet. The old patterns that do not serve us anymore can pass away. Maybe out of the voices and the actions and the hands of those who haven't been stuck in them for as long as we've been stuck in them. The universe is not done with us yet. This is probably the only good news I can share with you today. I suppose it will have to suffice. Amen. May you live in blessing. You should you pray with me? Spirit divine unbounded by any of our definitions. Flow and force of love that does not compel or demand but is always here If we would learn to turn toward that love. To break ourselves out of the literal or figurative chains that keep us tethered to what no longer serves to the patterns that break life and break hearts. May we see that all around us there is scattered love on the ground, in the air, between us, amongst us. And that doesn't require any act of imagination. It requires only seeing who we already are. Seeing what breaks the heart behind that is a profound presence of love. If our hearts are broken today, may we trust that our hearts are broken over something that matters. And that only a heart that is capable of love is a heart that can break. May we trust those voices, those presences that call us to a new day. To a recognition of what has arrived us at this place. And to the freedom and the capacity that allows us to let it be and to move on to something far better. Amen.